Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for coming in. What is that? I had nothing to do with it, I promise you. What, is something happening? Mr. Rogers <laughs> It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> a beautiful day. You'll never ask a grown man to take his shoes off in public. You might unwrap a present you don't want. Get down to the raw stages of life. Thank you all so much for coming. Sometimes you do look in the mirror in the morning, you realize you have become your child's, your child life hero. It's just, I became the man. Um, thank you so much for being here. I hope you've had a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for coming in with just a heart to worship. Um, sometimes um, I come into church and just it's super crazy right when I walk in the door. And I get the benefit every week of being here two times, which is awesome because you have two opportunities to worship, two opportunities to do a lot of things. Um, and I realize that most people just come in here for one service. Uh, so as you come in here, I'm just with a heart of worship. It is, um, it, it's, it's inspiring every week when you come in here just with a passion just to seek God. And to be here with his people. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I did something this year that I've never done on Thanksgiving uh, before. Um, over the last few years of my life, I have figured out really what it means to eat to the point that I hurt. Um, if you've ever, like, kind of you just went all in and you crossed that line. I mean, not just, oh, I'm full, but, oh, I regret decisions I've made um, all through the hours of heartburn. I mean, it just it's real. So this year... I thought, you know what, I, I, I got to try something new. Uh, so logic would have said, cut back, eat less, uh, drink water. Granted, I didn't do any of those things. Um, I wore elastic pants. <laughs> they were new, they were clean, they looked nice, but they had some flexibility to it. And I am here to tell you, that made all the difference. Um, so if you're, if you're at that place that I am and you're like, you know what, it just, it, it just some years it's tougher than others, uh, if you'll give me a call sometime in a couple days. I bought them on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. So uh, we'll go out shopping together, we'll help you pick some out, let you know what looks nice, what doesn't. Um, you know, just don't ask me if my butt looks big in these because if you're like me, you wouldn't be buying them if they didn't. Um, so uh, it was, they, they were clean. Like I embarrassed my wife, but I didn't totally embarrass her. Uh, we're still talking, but uh, Thanksgiving was at her family's house, so... I walked in, the only one wearing them, and I walked out feeling like a champ. So just use that as your discretion. Um, for this month of December, we are going to be looking at this thought, kind of looking towards a thought, um, which is that, that Jesus, specifically at Christmas time, but, but in all of our life, um, when, when Jesus showed up, he was the hope we needed. Um, a few, couple years ago, uh, there was a sermon I did on just really why we know that the time that Jesus was born, um, that we celebrate, was the perfect time. All in the world, just all the events of the world that, that, that God had arranged and just made so, so it would just be the perfect time. Um, we, can, we can celebrate that. I'm going to try to look back and find that part of that message so you can kind of hear some of that content because it's really crazy to, to just think about and, and learn some things that were going on in culture uh, during specifically this time um, that, that God really just brought us to this place to be able to see um, his plan in Jesus. Um, we are for a couple of weeks, at least a couple of weeks, going to be in back in the Gospel of John um, during this month of December. Uh, but we'll likely step 
out of it for a couple of weeks. So um, this morning we're going to be back in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, we are up to, if, you, if you've been here, if you've been tracking with this series and you've been listening to it, uh, we are at the sixth sign. Um, and we know that the signs are miracles. The miracles are signs because they're meant to show us something, to grab our attention and get us to look at something. Um, Jesus does a miracle so we can see something tangible we can kind of grab onto and, and break down and tear apart and build up and, and, and really have God speak through to show us a, a greater spiritual need. Um, the thing that Jesus does is, is often really not the most important thing to talk about and to really read and study through. Uh, so when we go through chapter 9 today, a um, whole bunch of verses. So I want to ask you this week to go back, read chapter 9. And when you read chapter 9, uh, your Bible, whether you have a paper copy, electronic app, or whatever it is, it'll divide John 9 up into at least about three sections. So start there, break them down into those sections as you reread and study them. Um, I really feel like God's going to speak to you in some very specific ways um, about this. Uh, so in chapter 9, we want to jump in and start in verse 1. Um, and verse 1 and, and the first few verses set up the entire chapter. We, we, we know virtually all the players at this point almost. Um, it says this, as he, he being Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, Jesus knows that he's been blind that long. His disciples don't necessarily know that. So we, we hear his disciples interject some things once they see this man. His disciples ask him, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? The, the general assumption in their culture many times, in their religious culture, was when they saw evidence of some flaw, some defect, some handicap, that in some way it was the result of sin in somebody's life. Uh, we would say that's a very, um, a, a very insensitive assumption uh, because we look at things very differently than this culture does. But, but notice Jesus' response because just leaving it there is just, you shouldn't look at it that way, isn't enough. Um, Jesus says this in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered, this came about, this is still Jesus talking, this is not John explaining, it's still Jesus talking, this came about so that God's work, his works, might be displayed in him. So in other words, um, this man is getting ready to have something happen to him in his life to show the power of God and that Jesus is his son, he is God himself. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, there's just kind of a real simple slide that's going to be up on the screen now. Like the disciples, many times in our lives, we see a situation, whether it's us or someone we look at, and we want to ask this question, why? Why did this happen? Why is why is this situation what it is? Why um, is this person dealing with the struggles that we're dealing with? Now, many times, what we're actually doing is, is we're leaning towards the, the, the cause side of why. What's the reason this happened? Who's at fault? Who's, who's to blame? Because many times our natural instinct is to assign blame to a situation. What Jesus is trying to help his disciples through, his followers. Now remember, the, the whole time his disciples are walking with Jesus, this is, these are constant lessons in action. He's teaching them something all the time. What he's teaching them in this moment, he says, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not upset with you that you ask why, not at all. He's just trying to steer his disciples to not look at the call side of why, 
but the purpose side of why. What is God going to do in this situation as I see it? Now, one of the great things about the Bible is, is that it doesn't stand back from tough issues. Oftentimes, the Bible just jumps right in the middle of them. Uh, when you look at someone like this beggar is in the Gospel of John in chapter 9, you see somebody that was born with a handicap. They were born without the ability to see. Um, they were, as some would say, limited from day one. And in, in many times we look at situations like this, and, and these are struggle even for us as Christians because um, sometimes we, we see something and because it's kind of new to us or it's fresh to us, we kind of look at a situation and say, well, well, well God must have kind of just woke up to it like I did, so now he's going to do something about it. And what we don't really give God credit for is in his power and his sovereignty, he's working one big story beginning to end with all kinds of little details. And while some of us would be tempted to feel sorry for one person, what we fail to realize is that it's actually in them that God's doing the work. In their joy, in their platform, in the love that they share with people. Because if you go back to Exodus in chapter 4, God tells Moses, he's like, look, I'm the one who knows people. I put them together. He said, I'm the one who knows if they're going to see. He says specifically if they're going to see or they're not going to see. It's an interesting, real distant look ahead even to what's going on here. These Pharisees that have such a problem with this studied Moses all the time. They would have known that conversation between him and God. But what we also can't deny is not just that God knows, but that God is always at work. And in 2 Corinthians is when Paul is inspired in chapter 12, verse 9, to write about how God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. We would want to, as people, to, to eradicate weakness in, in something that, that looks like a difficulty, but we would actually take out of this world an opportunity for God to show really who he is. So that's difficult for us many times. But if you've ever been connected with someone who maybe from birth had um, a difficulty, or you've been connected with someone who has um, gone through a season, especially of, of a health difficulty or something like that, you also have been probably connected to one of the most amazing views of God's glory that you could ever be a part of. Still to this day, I, I hear from so many people, and it's true out of my own heart, the blessing, even last week as Diana shared some just joy with us last week, out of a difficult situation in her life. Um, I have a son that, that every, I mean a son, I have a, a cousin that, that through the entire pregnancy, everything looked ex wonderful and fine until when he was born, the, the, the umbilical cord was wrapped around him and, and kept oxygen from his body for a period of time. And, and he has been what many would call handicapped, but he has been in many ways a incredible, obvious symbol of just true joy in his heart all of my life. And, and he will give God glory for things to me that just bless me and teach me. So in this world, we see things that, that to our own writing and creation, we would say don't, don't, don't match. But to God's working, in fact, it's his beautiful masterpiece. So they're looking, judging inappropriately, we would say, 
But Jesus uses it as, an, as a chance to tell them, let's look for the purpose. What is God going to do? And so even at the outset of this message, I realized that for some people in this room, that almost shuts you off. Because it's difficult, right, at times when we look at different things in our lives to say, I want to be open to what God could do in this. The purpose, why, not just being focused so long on the cause, why. But I want to ask you, just leave heart doors open and, and, and just listen to what Jesus does through this. Um, after he said these things, he spit on the ground. He made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back. Now, um, most likely, this pool that was called Siloam that, that meant what we would translate as sent, um, it was probably named that because this is kind of a common practice because it came from a stream that went miles and miles and miles away, um, to, far enough to where they would not be able to interact with sea or be near the source of the water. That's why they would have called this sent. Which, which is a phenomenal um, insight into just who Jesus has been constantly showing that he is. God's son sent from heaven to earth for a specific purpose. In fact, if you think about it, even in the Gospel of John, what we've talked about, there's this continual argument that keeps coming up about what? Where he's from. And here he's using this body of water that just like him is this, is this movable illustration of scent, this living illustration of scent that he sends him over to to receive his sight. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, this, he, he is the one. Others were saying, no, but, but he does look like him. He kept saying, I, I am the one. And, and I want to tell you this, it, it, it's, it's a very real provable thing from most of our lives, that as we have given our lives to Jesus, we become in certain ways um, confusing to other people. Because they knew us when, and now what we show is actually evidence of the change that Jesus is making in us. If we try to blend back into a culture that we used to be more similar as, we're doing injustice to the gospel, not being honest and just living out the change that God has done so that people will notice the difference in lifestyle, so that people will notice the difference in being lost and saved, being close and far from God, and that they will notice that there is a real life that they can live for Jesus too, and they can be close to him, and they can walk faithfully with him, and they can hear from him regularly like you do. God's calling us to, to live out those things. Now, it, it's you got to get used to being a little bit uncomfortable. And everybody's personality is a little bit different. You don't think you could wear Mr. Rogers' sweater up here. I don't care. The only thing that really truly bothers is me is that these lights are on me and I'm really hot right now. But I'm also too chubby to take off Mr. Rogers' sweater with the size medium t-shirt that I'm wearing because I don't want it to move around underneath me. Oh, forget it. No, I'm just kidding. So... I'm not going to prove my point that way. I, I love you too much, Dale, and I respect your wife. Just Amber doesn't need to be scarred at this point in her life. We, we have to realize that, that if, if, if we're going to give into embarrassment, if we're going to give into just social awkwardness, um, we're in for it as a believer. Um, Jesus is calling us to, to, to be comfortable in, in ways that we've never been comfortable before, but, but, but he does that, thankfully, um, in him. And that's part of his strength. You may say, well, that, that must not be Jesus' strength working. Oh, it is. 
to be able to just make it through a socially awkward experience because you're trying to live faithfully for him, that, that's Jesus' strength. That, it, that's within that category too. So they ask him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, uh, the man called Jesus made mud. He spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. Isn't that funny? They just asked the guy who couldn't see where the one went that healed him. He was walking to the water with mud on his eyes. And they're like, well, where'd he go? I don't know. I didn't catch that part. Forgive me. I could not see. Like, why? Like, you want to know where he went? Like, I'm telling you, I was blind, now I see. And, and you're going to see right there, there's the beginning to, to the consistency of his testimony that he's going to repeat over and over and over through this passage that we're going to read. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. And this is kind of where, if you're a church person, if you've ever dealt with aggravating church people, every time you hear the word Pharisee come up, it's kind of this, ugh, like those people, right? So, they're going to be here with, as we assume, and we'll rightly see, a little bit of a judgmental attitude. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes was the Sabbath. This is a recurring theme now. They're, they're angry at Jesus because he did this on the Sabbath. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Then the Pharisees ask him again how he received his sight. Now, I don't really know at this point. He's retelling the same story over and over again. So shortly you're going to hear him kind of get a little bit, almost sounds like a little frustrated, just telling the same details. Because think about it. All he knew was the sound. There is a voice speaking to me. He couldn't see Jesus yet. He couldn't tell what he was doing. All he heard was, and then he felt something cold on his eyes. Like that's, those are the details. Until he said, and I can now see. So, I want to stop for a second. Why did Jesus use mud? It may seem like, okay, that's just what he chose to do. But I want to look at two things of it. Um, number one, let's go back to the Sabbath thing again. Jesus is constantly trying to show people that he is not just man, but he's also God. He's told the Pharisees already that, that even on the Sabbath, me and my Father, he's trying to constantly link himself to God. So that, that image says there, people either hate him for it or they love him for it. And he's okay with that. But he constantly keeps trying to make this connection. And he, and he says, he uses mud because if you translate um, to knead bread and to basically mix mud, it's, it's the same core phrase. And one of the laws that the, that the Pharisees had written down of all the different kinds of work you couldn't do on the Sabbath, specifically they wrote into that, you cannot knead bread. So Jesus not only did something, he did something specific in action that was in the face of what that law was. Not to make them mad, but to continually say, me and the Father are still working. Because why? God took a Sabbath when he created the earth and it was perfect. But since sin came into the world, he's always been working every moment, no rest, to redeem people to himself. That's why, no matter when we rest, and we are supposed to rest as believers, we're supposed to get restorative rest, that practice for us to take is a good discipline because it helps us to trust that God is doing something even when we're not. He will do more than I can. That's why that principle is still current and applicable into our life. The other reason that he did this seemingly could be that, that he wanted to use something 
as part of the healing instead of just his voice. We've already seen in the Gospel of John that very simply, Jesus could just use his voice. He could just say that someone was healed. You could go show up where they were, and they would in fact be healed. Because it reflected back to Genesis 1, that in the beginning was the Word. And, and the Word was spoken and creation happened. Out of nothing came everything. So Jesus has no problem just saying something and it happening. So why use mud? Constantly through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and, and in a reflection of our lives, we can see that God uses means of things to accomplish His work. That's awesome because we are the means of things. And, and if you think about just in creation, it's so ironic to me when you, when you read this, because what, in creation, how did God create humans? He picked up the, the dust of the earth, he breathed life into it after he formed it. You don't form dust, you got, it's got to be mud. But when he breathed into it, it was, it was the spirit that came into us that we could live and breathe and know him. So at the very least, no matter how ungifted you think you are, or how untalented you think you are, or how unworthy you are, you have an advantage, like I do, at least on mud. Mud's just mud. We were mud at least, plus the breath of God. So we will be means that God will use to do his work. Which will be a wrestling point for some of us because of what we think about ourselves or how we see our past or whatever that is. And quite honestly, and this is coming from somebody who struggles with that himself, so I feel like I can say this um, fairly bluntly. Um, quite honestly, if we are unwilling to get to a place to believe that God will use us, we probably won't ever see him use us. Just saying. And, and I know that that may not be easy for you, but that's the one of the growth journeys that God wants to take you on. And he'll walk with you faithfully. He'll be there, and it'll take a lot of conversations, and it'll take some circumstances that he'll use, and he'll, he'll change some things in you and around you. I mean, there'll be a lot of stuff that'll go on. But he wants to work you to that confidence, not in you, but in him. So he uses means. It says that he put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Same testimony. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Remember, many of these things are coming back up because John is painting, painting a consistent picture inspired by God of Jesus. The division. Some people see it, some people don't. Some people believe, some people don't. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. Now, by him saying he's a prophet, what he's saying is, is that Jesus was sent by God for a purpose of God. He's been healed, but he hasn't spent time with Jesus yet. He hasn't been taught tons of lessons yet. He hasn't figured out what he needs to change about his life and what he hasn't. He hasn't changed his conversation and language and all that kind of stuff. Right now, he's at a stage of growth where he just believes Jesus is sent by God for a purpose of God. And he has been brought into that story. He's just reflecting that. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Now, in their culture, um, quite different than ours. If you go into a legal decision, a corporal, uh, corporal punishment, um, a, a case of law in some way, you're trying to build a case. 
a lot of testimonies to prove one fact. In their culture, they would have taken one reliable testimony of someone that agrees with another person's testimony, and they would take that as fact. So they called his parents in to just simply ask them, is this your son, and was in fact he born blind? They were trying to figure out, is there a trick going on? Could he see yesterday, but all of a sudden he convinced some people that he couldn't? They said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. It it, it almost sounds like you're getting the feeling that the parents don't really want to be where they were. They didn't really want to answer these questions. These are parents. If you had a child that was blind all of their life, that child could now see, wouldn't you sound probably a little bit more excited than this maybe? And and, and there is a reason. It says, his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. This is a tough moment for his parents. Excited that he's healed? Absolutely. I'm sure. I don't believe that God's purpose is to bash his parents through this story. I believe what we're seeing is an honest, real struggle. Because here's the threat. If they go to the point of saying that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the chosen one sent by God to bring his people to him and to bring all people to God, If they go to that point, they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. If they are not allowed to go in there, they can't offer the prescribed sacrifices. They can't atone for sin. They can't go in there and and have part in worship. Um, they They are not covered. If they're banned from the synagogue, they are not covered by the high priest that goes up and offers atonement for everyone. Basically, um religiously, they are outcast. And in the synagogue wasn't just your religious hub. It was, it was your whole social life. This was your identity, religiously, socially, everything happened as part of the synagogue. So not only could they, it's not like they just couldn't go to church on Sunday. They would be permanently considered unclean, which meant that if any Jew came in contact with them, somebody from their family, they would be considered unclean and would have to go in and sacrifice and, and, and be cleaned just after dealing with this person. So they would then even limit their interaction. They wouldn't want to be around. It would be super incredibly awkward. It would break relationships on all levels. His parents were scared of this. And they really didn't know if they were ready to say that, yeah, we really believe this is who Jesus is. Now, this starts to kind of awaken us in this story to a real sincere truth. That in confessing Jesus as Lord, being saved, really being a believer, a Christian, means that we will come to situations and moments where others may not understand, they may not accept, we may not be... Um, we may not be welcomed or may not feel like we belong in certain environments that we used to feel like we were. It may lead to tough conversations. There may be some events in life that follow us not only committing our lives to Jesus privately, but figuring out what does it mean to live for him publicly. And if Jesus is always working, he's not just healing, 
He's walking with people in those scenarios too. He's incredibly faithful. He's more faithful than anyone else we could ever imagine. That's why Jesus says himself, he says, count the cost. He says, carry your cross. He, he, he makes some statements to help us to understand the life of a Jesus follower is a commitment, is something to be done. It's tangible, it's living, it's breathing. And that's awkward. We, we, many of us come to places in life to where we hit that, we hit that crossroad and we go, am I, ready to, am I ready to walk away from this relationship if I need to because of my faith in Jesus? Am I ready to stand up boldly and speak if that's what's called to me in the name of Jesus? Am I ready to, to make this decision in a relationship? Am I ready to take this action at work or, or wherever I'm at? Am I ready to do this because of my faith in Jesus? So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, he's saying this, give credit to God. Um, you can say that God did this, but, but this guy does not get credit. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. This is a beautiful testimony. It's got three parts to it. I, I, I was blind, comma, now I see. Um, this is a method we use at our kids' camp to talk about testimonies. It's taught at the camp we take our teenagers to. Um, we we want to talk about this to adults. It, it, this would be well worth your time this week to just journal out just this kind of simple testimony because you will be amazed at the number of opportunities that God will give you to use this exact kind of testimony in real life as a means for someone else to hear about Jesus. I was blind. What my life was like before Christ or before a season of my life that Christ did something. The comma just simply represents Jesus, what he did, and then what life has been like after that. Sometimes you might be in, a, in the middle of a change, and it may be that, that before I realized um, that, that Christ wanted me to grow in this or before I got saved, this is what characterized my life. It was this and this and this. But when Jesus came in or when he began to speak and teach and connect me into his word, then, then this is the truth that I now know, and I'm trying to figure out what does it mean to live on it. Or your testimony may be about virtually completed change. But over and over again, he stays with this model of testimony, this model of just, here's how I explain what God's done in my life. And this model, I promise you, it won't fail if you share it, even in one sentence. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? He's a little sarcastic here, I think. He's probably a little tired of giving the same story. This guy just wants to go live a life with eyes that work, right? Like, that's just, that's what he wants. But notice, no matter what we want to go live in, what kind of freedom we want to go live in, God doesn't give us freedom and not expect us to share it with others. God's not in the business of saying, hey, I want to forgive you so you can go do whatever you want to do. He's not in the business of helping us feel better so we can go do whatever. It's, I want to do something in your life, and I want you to share it. And that's the model. That's what he positioned this guy to do. They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing the man told them. 
You don't know where he's from. You remember this has come back over and over again. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to them. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach, trying to teach us? Then they throw him out. So now he's um, been misjudged because what they want to say his past was like or what his parents were past were like. He's thrown out of the synagogue. Functionally, his life has, has specifically changed in ways that he probably had no clue, didn't think through, wasn't ready for. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, Oh, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told him, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is what Jesus is saying to them. He says, listen, if you were like this blind beggar, and, and what you became was a person that realized what you couldn't do, and, and knew that you just had to ask for help, then that means that you were at a place in life that God could work with. And now he has his sight. He said, but if you're somebody who, who says, yes, we, we, we see it all, we know better, we can make our own decisions. He said, in that vision that you think you have of your life, he said, yeah, you've actually become spiritually blind. And because you are, because you're so self-righteous, unlike the blind man who figured out how to ask for help, you didn't ask for help and you didn't say, God, forgive me and experience him doing it. It's pretty amazing how God would position one person to be in need so that he could find Jesus. And yet somebody else who seemed like they had it all together couldn't see Jesus because they were so self-righteous. It's odd, in fact. And it's so odd that I think consistently we see evidence that God is calling us to, to, to not just see our lives from our perspective, but to see what's going on more from His. To see the consistency of what He does in this world and realize what He's doing in our own lives. You know, it's interesting. At the very first of this chapter, Jesus says that, that we need to do the works of him that sent me. You know, when I, I first read that in this, in this chapter, you know, years back in my life, I thought, okay, Jesus is telling his disciples, okay, guys, come on, let's go get to work. But if you notice, his disciples never had a part in this story. So who's the we? I believe the we is Jesus and the one that was blind. Because he had a lot of work to do. 
He had a lot of growth that needed to happen in his life. He had to, he had to go humble himself. He had to humble himself enough to go, I'm, I'm going to go to the pool that this guy tells me to go to and not just wipe the mud off my eyes and get angry that someone's making fun of me and somebody's playing a joke like they did when I was a kid. That he's going to believe that the voice he hears that seems like it's just something different is in fact different because it's coming from God and that's something that he can go obey. There was a lot that Jesus and this blind beggar needed to do together. And one thing that I want you to see this morning is faith isn't something that we just wake up to, right? Like this blind beggar didn't get his eyes open and his sight back and go, oh, I didn't realize it, but I believe, I have faith. Faith is something that God gives us and then he strengthens in us. We don't wake up in the middle of a problem, before a problem or after a problem and go, oh, wow, I didn't realize I had this much faith. It's what's inside of us that God is having to strengthen and and take us through different circumstances that are trials and struggles sometimes to just build those spiritual muscles of faithfulness to to rely on Him and trust in Him for other things that are even ahead or to to share those things with other people. So I want to ask you a few questions and and make make about three statements to make sure that we, we, we hear this story and we kind of evaluate our life and then really see where it is that God is is taking us and where he wants us to go. Um, Just a a few questions. Um, Do do you find uh, your worship and your faithfulness to Jesus deepening or weakening in the face of threat, danger, or difficulty? In other words, when a a circumstance happens, and and, and this isn't, these aren't questions to say, do you have faith or not? These are questions to say, where are the opportunities for our faith to grow and be strengthened? When something happens, when, when the news first comes in, how quickly are we able then to turn and really begin to worship God for what he could be doing? Um, how are we able to see and, and kind of stop in the moment and say, okay, God, let, let, me, let me kind of put my thoughts on you and, and try to start becoming aware of, of, of what it is you might be doing. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, uh, because I, well, let me say it this way. I, I'm afraid sometimes when, when we're in a church environment and we ask questions like this, there's this, there's this assumption that, it, it takes a super Christian or some perfect person to be able to really live and think that way. And, and it really doesn't. It takes Jesus and somebody to be able to really have that kind of perspective. Because Je- like Jesus is saying, uh, we are doing the work of him that sent me. So as I'm living for Jesus and he's working in me and through me, what is my turnaround like? How bad do things throw me before I look to God for some kind of why purpose and not why cause. Does um, your worship, your faithfulness, your walk with Christ, does it grow or falter when family, friends, or social connections are unbelieving or don't appreciate what God might be doing in your life? In other words, when, when you're faced with opposition to, to, the, to the story that Jesus is doing something in you, does that, does that cause you to get quiet? Does that cause us to um, kind of get silent on it or inactive on it or back up on it? Or do we, do we stand our ground on our platform that God gives us to say, I was, I was blind, comma, but now I see. And not feel like we have to prove everything to that person, but just to simply share what Jesus is doing in our own life. How do we react when, when maybe somebody doesn't love what God's doing in us the way we love it, 
when they're not as excited as we are excited? Do you confess him openly and defend him publicly with your simple testimony? I was blind, but now I see. Are are there opportunities that you and I are taking to take that simple story and and share that into someone's life? They're there. They're there. I realize they're there. I realize they're there on days that I take none of those opportunities. I know that they're there. So here's uh, three things to kind of wrap up on. Um, Number one, God has a wise, good, and Christ-magnifying purpose for everything that happens. He does. Um, I say that with a real resolved, simple voice. And I know there's a million different circumstances that people could paint. And in this room, we we could bring up details of life and go, there was a purpose in that? Consistently, God tells us that. So if we believe that he is God, then that must be a truth. The strengthening comes as we believe it firmly. Jesus is the only path to that full and final joyful experience of realizing that purpose. There is this point in our life to where we have to look at it and say, okay, if I'm going to arrive there, and we all want to arrive there, which path is going to lead there? And, and, and I, I propose to you that it is only through Jesus, only for li- through living for him. And finally, um, Jesus went and found a rejected blind man that society said was a nobody and a beggar. And he's also seeking you and me right now to help us become a courageous worshiper of Jesus. Because when, when people kicked him out, Jesus found him. And th- there's points in life where we realize, because we, we've heard something now consistently for a few weeks or a few months, and what that is, is, is Jesus coming into our life and saying, hey, I found you. I know exactly where you are. And, and I know what will help. I know what you need. And I don't just send it. Like I don't package it up and just shoot it your way. I bring it myself through my spirit and through my word. So really for all of us as a crowd, there's, there's two basic messages. One, maybe you find yourself in chapter 9 because there's a lot of places to find ourselves in chapter 9. Maybe you find yourself in chapter 9 realizing that, that you don't have the answer to everything in life and you need help. That, that the way you were born was the way I was born. Someone who sinned. Someone who had flaws. And they were evident. And they became more evident in life. And now you, you just really want to know, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because so far Jesus seems to be putting great effort into drawing a distinct enough line so that people will know on which side of it they stand. And whether you've prayed a prayer before, you really want that settled. Or maybe you've heard about Jesus for the first time recently. And the gospel truth, the good news about Jesus is a whole big story. But one of the foundational parts of it is how to know God. That yes, when we were born, we were born sinners. Without an ability to find God on our own. He had to come find us. Because our tendency is to drift, to wonder, to walk away. And the gospel says that, that at our best and our worst, because our best wasn't good enough and our worst wasn't nasty enough, 
at our best and our worst, Jesus paid a price that was due to a perfect and holy God to pay for mistakes. And God said that, that death was the consequence and he has stuck to it. But because his love is greater than that judgment, he came to earth to pay it himself. Isn't that great? Like, that's love, right? To require something, but because you know someone can't do it, you just pay for it yourself. Like it, that's the beauty of God, right? It, it's he's so perfect that he that he doesn't he, he doesn't change the consequences. He just pays for them himself. See, as an inconsistent dad, I'll say something's going to happen and, and I don't do it. I change the consequences. I back off. He stuck to it, but paid for it himself. And when Jesus came back to life, it wasn't just the assurance of payment. It was the promise that we could live in him from now to eternity. And the Bible requires two things. That we believe in Jesus. And we can talk belief a long time. But you and I both know when we really truly believe and trust in something. It's worth the weight of our whole life. We go all in. And God says that when we believe in Jesus, that he's done it. It's not what we're doing, but it's what he's done. That we simply need to, number two, talk to God. To pray to God. And, and it can be as simple as, God, I believe in Christ. I believe that I'm a sinner and I know that I need salvation through him. And it's because of him that I can know you. God, save me. You can word it a lot of different ways. God simply gives us the insurance that it's Jesus that did the work. It's grace that he gives us to believe and to come into his family and to pray to him and that in he holds us. And you can pray that prayer this morning. While we're here, whether someone knows it or not, but God doesn't mean for you to walk through life by yourself. He means to connect you to other people. And he also shows us in this story that we got to acknowledge some some things that may seem a little bit socially awkward. There's people in church that, that sit, and I've talked to them. You probably have too. They wrestle with their salvation. They wrestle with an issue. And, and the reason that they wrestle is because they really would rather sit in one chair or stay in one place than just be open and honest and say, you know what, maybe I've been in church for a really long time, but I've never done anything about that Jesus thing that keeps coming back up. And I just want to know I promise you there's greater peace in knowing than there is awkwardness in moving or filling out a card or doing whatever. That's one. Second one is this. For any of us that know that we are saved, in this chapter it's seeing one of the many, many, many places that we fit and we fall and that Jesus finds us. And wherever that thing is for you today, that one or two things that Jesus highlighted in his word into your mind, Lock in there and stay there because there's a lot of them in this chapter. Whatever he's speaking to you about is what he wants to do in your life, but it's also part of what he wants you to share. So there's a lot attached to it. Don't move away from it. Don't run from it. Walk through it now, connected to other people. Would you bow your heads just for a minute? I'm going to pray. The praise team's going to be back up here, and we're going to have a song. We're going to have a time that's going to be open. If you'd like to come up and pray over anything, if you'd like to talk about what it means to be saved, 
Um, if you know what it means to be saved, you just, you're, just, you're settling that today, um, and, and you come up here and you, you talk or you raise your hand or you fill it out on the card, whatever you do, we want to connect with you. But I do want to ask, while I'm just here looking and just an opportunity to pray, and I, and I may not see you because as the lights come down, I can't see everybody in here. But, but if, you, if you today came in and said, you know what, I, I prayed that prayer because I want to know where I stand with God, and I, I, I do trust Him, I do believe in Him, and I want to give Him my life because I know that Jesus um, paid the price to save me. He's the hope that I needed. Um, and, and, and I prayed um, a prayer to God today. I talked to God about what my need for Him was, and I believe that I belong to Him now. Would you just slip your hand up just so I can see you, so I can pray for you? Thank you. Awesome. And if I don't see your hand, if I don't see your hand, I'm sorry. Um, I, my prayer will be for you, I promise. If you'd like to talk more about how you can grow in your faith after the service, we want to talk to you about that. But we want you to know and have confidence in where you stand with God through His Son, Jesus. We want you to hear from Him, and we, we want you to grow in Him. We want your faith strengthened, not just discovered. God, thank you so much for the service and the time that we've had in it. Help us now to sing your praises. Help us to sing with attention on you. Help us to pray honestly, God, about what you're speaking to us about in our life. Lord, help us to have joy while we do it. Lord, help us to find our place in your kingdom, growing at the rate that you challenge us to grow, God. Drawing close to you and seeing other people impacted because of what you do through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand up now as we sing? This altar area will be up, open up front to pray if you'd like.